Thank you for joining us at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday sermon series, Where Are They Now? We've taken liberty in this series for a continuation of stories never finished in the Bible. There are those who made a difference or impact, but we never hear from them again. Some made the best of opportunities, but never really knew what kind of impact they made, while others missed opportunities entirely and their stories stopped short. Where do we think they ended up? How did their story end? If we could interview them today, what would they say? Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon. Are you glad you're in the house of God this day? We're glad you're here and uh, just experiencing the wonderful presence of the Lord. We appreciate your giving and your support of the ministry. Just a tremendous blessing of God. We are in this new series called Where Are They Now? And these are biblical stories of people who made the best of opportunities. Also people who maybe missed some opportunities and never really knowing what could have happened. And that's what we're talking about. Last week, if you were here, I talked about the little uh, girl who was a slave girl who she didn't realize the time that she spoke up that she would impact a general and a nation because of her obedience to God. Her one decision changed the lives of so many. And so what we're trying to do is really kind of create like an interview. We could interview some of them today. If they were able to come back to this life, what would they tell us? What, what lessons would they tell us that they learned? What things would they say uh, that they learned from that experience? And we're basically getting a front row seat and get to hear their testimony, get to see their story. And uh, this week or in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some encounters that Jesus had with some people. How many know when people had an encounter or ever came across Jesus, you're never the same? Whenever, and whenever you came across Jesus, you left with some sobering thoughts of what I need to do. It would be like if you went to a coffee shop in today's time and you were able to sit across from Jesus for maybe 20 minutes or an hour and he would tell you all about your life. He would tell you things that you didn't know that anyone knew about and yet you would leave that place thinking, man, I, I need to make some decisions. And so we're, we're going to get to get in on some of these encounters that Jesus had with some people and what their decision was after that encounter and what decisions they made. And again, some of them made the best of opportunities and some of them missed opportunities. I would call it golden opportunities to, to have their lives change. And, and so all of us this morning are going to be able to do that. See, lots of times we think that we're looking for God when in reality God's been looking for you the whole time. And we're thinking, you know, many of these people thought, man, you know, I finally, uh, I've been looking for Jesus. But if you get to know Jesus at a deeper level, you realize he's been looking for you all this time. I'm reminded of a story of a little boy back when we had fo home phones. I don't know if some of you guys don't even have any home phones no more. Everybody has a cell phone. But back then, you had a home phone. There was actually a day and time where you had no cell phone. You actually had to go to the wall and pick it up, and, and there was a wire to it. You can only go so far. I know some of you, I remember back dialing a phone. Yeah, that was way back. And then, and then you got the, the, it wasn't a cell phone. What was it called? A, a portable phone, right? A cordless phone. There you go, cordless phone. And, uh, you know, you could walk with that cordless phone. And I was like, wow, this is technology. 
And now most of you don't even have a home phone. So anyway, this, this story, uh, back when you had a phone, a man calls the house, and a little boy answers the phone with a whisper. Hello? And the man says, can I speak to your mom? The little boy says, she's busy. The man says, can I speak to your daddy? The little boy says, he's busy too. The man's curious. He said, is there anybody else at home? He said, yes. The police are here. The little boy said, now, uh, now the guy's really concerned. Can I speak to the police officer? No, he's busy. Is there anybody else at home? He's kind of panicking. Now the little boy said, yes, the firemen are here. Can I speak to the firemen? No, they're busy too. The man's really frustrated. He says, young man, what are they busy doing? The little boy said, they're looking for me. And so... <laughs> Kind of the way life is many times. We don't realize God's been looking for you the whole time, man. And uh, we think we're looking for God, but God's looking for you. And you're going to discover in life that God is really wanting you to have a relationship with him. And really in the Old Testament, it kind of tells us that people had a way of getting to God, but it was ritualistic. In fact, I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10. It says, for the old system dealt only with certain rituals with foods to eat and drink, ruse for washing themselves, ruse about this and that. The people had to keep these ruse to tide them over until Christ came with God's new and better way. Until Christ came with God's new and better way. So I want to pray this morning or this afternoon the Lord would help us as we get into this particular encounter Father, we thank you today for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that you're so faithful and good. And, Lord, that we can learn from the experiences of others. We can learn from their story. And, Lord, we can learn what not to do and what to do. And, Father, I pray that we would take these things to heart because these are spiritual lessons that you want to teach your people. And, God, today I pray the word of God will go deep inside of our heart, remove so many distractions that, so many times happen even when we're in church, more distractions than others. So God, remove that right now. I pray for the anointing of God as I declare your word. I pray for the Holy Spirit uh, to anoint every word that I say and that the people would hear the voice behind the voice in Jesus' name. And the people said, so up until Jesus came, basically the Old Testament, you had to keep a bunch of rules, you had to keep a bunch of rituals. And then when Jesus came, he established a new way to relate to him, and that was through relationship. Say relationship. And so the Bible gives us an example in Mark chapter 10, and we get to listen in on this encounter that Jesus has with what we call the rich young ruler. For some of you that are familiar with the Bible, it's the rich young ruler or the rich young man, and you know the story, but I'm going to read this encounter with him, and we'll get to hear some of his response to what Jesus taught, asked him about. And if we could interview him, what would he say to us today? If we could sit down and ask this rich young ruler, hey, uh, tell us something. Uh, what, what did you learn from your experience? And I believe the first thing he would tell us is, I asked the wrong question. Instead of asking how I can serve God on earth, I was more concerned about just getting to heaven. And so look at Mark chapter 10, verse 17. We get to read this encounter. And Jesus was st starting out on his way to Jerusalem 
a man came running up to him. He knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when you first read that, and, you know, that's a good question. Many of us would say, well, that's not such a bad question. Uh, you know, there's really nothing wrong. The guy wants to know how to get to heaven. But I want you to read the question in context because back then, people thought the only way you can get to God was with a bunch of ruse and rituals. And so he thought, well, I'm going to ask Jesus uh, what certain thing I need to do, and then if I do that, then I'll get there. And so he had a misperception of how to get to heaven. He, he was probably thinking, do I need to do more? Have I not done enough? Is there a certain thing that I need to do? Is there a certain hair, haircut that I need to get? Is there a certain handshake that I need to give? Or maybe you come from an athletic background. And you can kind of relate to this and reference it as uh, how many righteous points do I need to score in order to get into heaven forever? Or if you come from an academic background, you would say, I wonder what the interest exam is to get into heaven. I, I wonder how many questions I need to answer to gain my admission to heaven. Or perhaps you're a churchgoer, you've been coming to church for a while, we could be asking, how many church services do I need to attend in order to get into heaven? How many memory verses do I need to know? Is that enough? And so strike one, if you really look at this, is that he asked the wrong question. He was implying, basically, that in this question, that the most important question was that, that Jesus basically wants all of us, he just came to this earth to die so that we can go to heaven. See, a lot of people think, well, the only reason Jesus died is so that we can go to heaven. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. Jesus did not just die so that you can go to heaven. He died so that you can be forgiven of your sins and be made right with God and restore your relationship with God while you're here on earth. You're more useful on earth than you are in heaven. Did you know that? There's a lot of lives your life can touch if you get right with God. If you let God come in and cleanse and forgive you of your sin. And so the wrong question was the guy was just thinking about eternity. But he wasn't thinking about the here and now. Let me tell you something. Heaven is spectacular. It's a wonderful benefit of our faith. But let me tell you what's more important. He wants you to live for him right now on this earth while you're still alive. And there's greater purpose that God has for you. Lots of people, they just, they're just thinking about the afterlife. They're thinking about how I get to heaven. And those are wonderful things. But I'm telling you, God wants to give you a new life today. God wants to give you a transformed life. He wants to transform your life. Let me say it again. God wants to transform your life. It's not about information. It's about transformation. Here, let me read the scripture to you out of John chapter 10, verse 9. He said, yes, I am the gate. Again, Jesus said he's the gate. Those who come through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief' purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. So he's saying that word rich, he goes, I come to give them a rich and satisfying life. He's not talking about money in your wallet. 
He's talking about the kind of richness that this rich young ruler had no, he didn't know what it was about. He's talking about a rich, transformed life. He's talking about a satisfying life. He's talking about a life with purpose. He's talking about a life with meaning. He's talking about a life this morning that doesn't just get you to heaven this morning, but a, a, a relationship with God that teaches you how to live on earth right now. Somebody say amen. He came to provide a life right now. He goes, as my kingdom come as, or your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's talking about eternal life begins. Uh, when you give your life to Jesus, that's when eternal life begins. When you give your heart to Christ this morning, that's when eternal life begins. That's when you begin to live your life. When you've accepted that in your life, you know where you're going. You have security in that. And then somewhere along in our lifeline, there's going to be an interruption. We know that when you close your eye in your final time in the next world and you open them up and there's going to be a place where there's no, no, not going to be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. The glory of God's going to be there. But, friend, I want you to know if we're so heavenly minded, we're not going to be any earthly good. We've got to begin to realize that God wants us to think about the here and now, not just the here and after this morning. He wants us to talk about the here and now, right now. God, what the, the good question would have been, God, what can I do for you right now? How can I live a significant life right now? That would have been the better question. How can I follow you right now? How can I live the kind of life you want me to live today? That would have been the greater question. And so in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says to him, Jesus said to the man, why are you calling me good, a good teacher? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments? Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat. For some of you, let me say that again, don't cheat on your taxes, don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. He said, teacher, I have from my youth kept all of these rules. I don't know any young person's done this. What a remarkable young man. And Jesus looked him hard in the eyes, and he loved him, and he said, one thing you lack. Now, I want, I want to go back to the very beginning. He said, why are you calling me good? He was saying, why are you calling me good unless you believe that I'm God? In other words, this morning, he's saying, All you, who do you think I am? Because, see, this guy didn't really know who Jesus was. Just by his question, he was kind of referring to Jesus, at, or he was referring to Jesus as the good teacher. He was basically saying, oh, he's another good moral teacher. I'm going to go to him and see what morals I need to keep, what things I need to do good in order to get there. And that's why Jesus is saying, you have no idea who you're talking to, do you? You don't realize that someone that is really good is really God, and you don't realize that it's him talking to you at this moment. This guy, Jesus knew that this guy had not kept all the commandments. Let me tell you why. Because the commandments that Jesus mentions are the six commandments. The second part of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with one another. He did not deal with our relationship with God. So the sixth commandment that he mentioned has to do with our relationship with each other. Don't lie, don't steal, don't uh, honor your mom and father, uh, all of these things. He's dealing with that. However, Jesus says you're missing one thing. 
And the one thing that he's talking about is really summarized in the four commandments that Jesus did not mention. And those four commandments are, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any idols. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And you shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So the one thing the young man had not done is summarized in the four commandments. And they have to do with putting God first in your life above anything else. And that's why Jesus said, you're missing one thing, buddy. It's summarized in those four commandments. Uh, his problem was not loving his neighbor. His problem was not loving other people or loving himself. The problem was he was not loving God wholeheartedly. He had not learned how to put God first above everything else. He knew how to keep the rules. He knew how to be morally good. But how many know it's more than just being morally good? You can keep more, but it's God first in your life. And so let's read the rest of the story. Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. And he said, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth then, uh, all, all, all your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and come follow me. The Bible said the man's face clouded over. Literally his face dropped. Because he was probably expecting to hear something else. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not able to let it go. And Jesus, looking at his disciples, said, do you have any idea how difficult it is for people to have it all to enter in to God's kingdom? Jesus, again, confronted this man's heart. And the Bible said the moment he did that, that that man walked away sorrowful. He walked away sad. Why? Because he had possessions, but his possessions possessed him. And he wouldn't let it go. He wouldn't let it go. He wouldn't put God first. So the, sec the first thing, again, uh, as I'm looking at this, uh, is basically he asked the wrong question uh, because uh, he thought maybe he had enough already to have a right, right relationship with God. But he did not realize this morning uh, that he had not surrendered everything to God. See, the story is not about money, as most of us think. Oh, because he was rich then he, he's going to say, no, money's not bad. It's your attitude toward money. It's the way, how many know money can be used for good? You can bless somebody. You can give to orphans. You can give to the poor. You can do a lot. You can give to church. All those things can be used for the good. So money in, it, in and in itself is not bad. It's our attitude toward money because there are a lot of great benefits to money if you use it correctly. But if you use it for the bad and your attitude is wrong, it could be done wrongly or, or, or you could do wrong with your money. I was reading a story about an elderly woman who was searching diligently for a parking space at a mall. At, long, at, at last, she saw this guy leaving the mall and his arms were filled with packages. And she said, you know what, I'll just follow him. How many have ever done that? You see people, they follow you follow them, you're, you're driving along in the parking lot, and you see somebody with packages, and they, they come down your aisle, and you follow them. Have you ever followed them, and then they cross over? I go, hey, wait a minute. That's not the ruse here, dude. If you walk the aisle, this is the aisle you stay in. 
Am I right? That's just a, I think that's an unspoken rule. Don't walk down the aisle unless that's where your car is. Don't be a violator. I'm going to call you out, man. You violated the, the parking mall rule. I just made it up. I don't know what you call. Anyway, I go, what? What? That guy crossed over there. And then he went three over. I go, why would you walk down? Anyway, so she's, that's my own pet peeve. So let's go on with the real story. So she starts following this guy very slowly and very carefully. And finally, he gets to his car, and he begins to unload all of his packages. And she's waiting there very patiently. She's had, she has her signal on, and the guy gets into his car. He puts his seatbelt on. He backs up very slowly, and as he pulls out, this young guy in a red Corvette pulls into her spot. I mean, she's really mad. I don't know about you, but... That's happened to me. I've told you guys the story. And I did get out, and I did confront that guy. But anyway, that's a whole different story. You guys remember that? My wife was walking to the store, and I said, this is my anyway. So she's mad. She rolled down the window, and she says to him, you can't do that. And the young man says, hey, lady, that's the way it is when you're young and fast. So she gets her car, she backs it up more, she shifts it into drive and crunches down on the gas and creams right into his Corvette. The young guy yells back, lady, you can't do that. And the lady said, that's the way it is when you're old and rich. (laughs) The way it is. See, money... (laughs) Your attitude with money changes everything. Am I right? So somebody said that money is like fire. It has tremendous potential for good and evil. And so the Bible says this guy was rich. He had a lot of money, indicating that, again, he was young, indicating that he had a bright future. He had great potential. Uh, I think the Bible purposely said that he was the young rich ruler, so we don't know if he was a a young ruler in a religious area, a civic area, a community leader. We don't know, but this man had some resources, and he had leadership, and we know at least this, though, that he was willing to humble himself. So there was some spiritual sensitivity in his life. He wanted to know about the things of God, or he realized there were more to the things of God, and he wasn't ashamed to ask. We can give him credit for that. He was not afraid because the Bible says he was in front of everybody that he came and he knelt down and he said, good teacher, and he asked a question. You know, many of the religious people back then, whenever they asked Jesus questions, they would try to trap him. Uh, They had the wrong uh, uh, motives. Uh, Or many times they would meet him at night because they didn't want anyone to see them. But this young rich ruler, he went in the middle of the day and he was willing to kneel down and say, I need some answers. And the Bible said this man was a pretty good moral man. He had kept the commandment, at least the sixth commandments, about, uh, again, uh, not stealing, uh, all of these things. And he had a real good system. Now, I don't know about you, but how many have kept these commandments? Never told a lie. Never stolen anything. You've never dishonored your mom and dad. Not me. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. I've, I've broken them all so far. You have to. Don't act religious. You have to. But we do have to admit that this guy, he came a long way. 
But the scripture says he still had something missing, they missing. There was something still missing in his life that he lacked. And Jesus said, you lack one thing. See, it wasn't enough for what he did to earn him into heaven. And so I think the second thing the man would say to us, he said, you know what? I, I thought I had enough, but it wasn't enough for me to earn my way into heaven. So he said, good teacher, what must I do to enter in to eternal life? He was not as close to eternal life like he thought. Because there were some things in his life that were still missing, and there was a thing, something in his life that he didn't mention that we all have, and that's called sin. Say sin. Sin is falling short. And the Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, many times we think sin is all the bad things that we've done, and we pretty much stop right there. But can I tell you, sin is also our disobedience to do the right thing. It's the things that we didn't do right. Let me read you this scripture, James 4, 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, it is what? Sin. So if we know to do the right thing and we don't do it, you're sinning. It's not just all the bad things you've done. If God says, you know what, you need to forgive, you say, well, I'm not doing that. You're sinning. You're supposed to forgive. If God says you need to love that person, you say, I'm not going to love. But God says, you know what, that's a sin. Bible says be patient. How many have already lost on that one this morning? Just on the way, you already lost that one. You've lost your patience. Just, just If you have a few kids, man, I've, I used to lose it every time. I said, babe, I got to preach today, and I've already lost my patience with these crazy kids. Whose kids are they anyway? My goodness. Driving me crazy anyway. Here, let me read you this scripture. Isaiah 64, 6. We're all infected. And impure, and impure with sin, we proudly display our righteous deeds. We find they are but filthy rags. So your good deeds are like filthy rags to God. Did you know that? Romans 3.23, for we've all sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard. Notice it says all of us, not just one of us, not just three of us, all of us fall short. All of us, no matter who you are. Can, can you imagine this morning, just think about this. If, if we all stood at the Grand Canyon and said, let's just see who can jump across. Now, I'll just be honest with you. Probably, you know, some of us can jump further than the other. But, you know, can I tell you, we would all fall short. No matter how far you went, maybe you can go further. And I said, man, I got a running start. And, yeah, you get up. But I tell you, you're going to fall short too. Maybe you may get a little further, but we're all falling short. This is why we need Christ in our life, because Jesus Christ died for our sins, because he knew we would fall short and that we could have a relationship with him. Can you say amen? So Jesus realized this morning that within ourselves, we can't keep enough rituals. We can't keep enough rules. We're not good enough. Let me read you this scripture, Ephesians 2.8. We, we know the scripture, but I'm going to read it to you. God saved you by his special favor, his grace. When you believe, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Say gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So the scripture is laying it out this morning. See, the difference between Christianity and religion 
excuse me, religion is a bunch of rules and rituals. Christianity is a relationship. So Christ came not to establish rules and rituals. He came so that you can have a relationship with him. Let me read you this next scripture, Romans 3.21. But not, but, but not God has shown us a different way, but now, I'm saying not now, but now God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight, not by obeying the law that rules in religion, but by the way, but by the way promised in scriptures long ago, we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sin, and we can all be saved in the same way no matter who of who we are or what we've done. So the scripture is telling us again, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, Christ receives us and we can have a right relationship with him. Now here's the third thing that I want to go into. If we were to ask this guy, what is your biggest regret? He would say, I miss the greatest opportunity of a lifetime. When you begin to read the scripture, you'll find Jesus said, leave everything Go sell it all, and your riches will be accounted for you in heaven, and come follow me. He had the opportunity to follow Jesus, but the Bible says he walked away sorrowful. He walked away sad. Now, I want you to think about this. Isn't it something when, as a Christian, have you ever been curious of why people on Friday night or Saturday night can party and get drunk and then come to church uh, on Sunday, and they don't see a contradiction in that. Or someone could sit with their wife every Sunday morning in church, but during the week they have this adulterous relationship with some worker at work somewhere, some co-worker. Would you see the contradiction in that? There's some people this morning that say, well, you know, uh, I have a right to hold on to parts of my life, and God doesn't have to have all of my life. That is wrong. God wants all of your life, not just part of your life. This guy had a wonderful opportunity, but if you really get down to it, he didn't want to surrender everything. It's like, for instance, if I had a bunch of boxes up here and God said, can I have all those boxes? I said, okay, God, you can have this one. Oh, I don't need that little one. But, But this one over here, this is my box. And all these other couple boxes are over here, they're mine. See, God doesn't want part of your life. He wants all of your life. He just doesn't want your spare time. He wants all of your time. He wants complete surrender. Sometimes we can come to church and say, well, you know, I give God my 10 bucks, you know, but the rest of the money is mine. You know what, I'll come to church on Sunday, but every time, other, other time, that, that's just my time. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And so we think somehow that we're, we're okay if we just kind of serve God part-time. And so the Bible says that this man walked away. When Jesus confronted him and said, go sell everything, give it to the poor, come follow me, the Bible says the man became sorrowful and walked away. And I begin to think about what, what kind of atmosphere must that have been like. How many, how many have watched baseball? Anybody here, any baseball fans here? A few of you guys. All right, Dodgers, did we say Dodgers out there? All right, Dodgers. We don't say angels cuz we'll we'll get you out of the out of the church. But anyway, no, I'm listening. Pastor David was talking about Detroit. Did he say Detroit? I'll get out of here with Detroit. We're not even We're not even Detroit. There's no Detroit here. Anyway, 
how did I get into that? We're going back to the baseball. And so uh, I don't know when they started doing this, but it's more and more as the batters go out, they have like a theme song. You ever seen some of those theme songs? They're like, whoo, they're all pumped up now. You know, and they come out, you know, bad to the bone, bad, bad. And he come out, yeah. You know, or Kashmir, Led Zeppelin, you know, dun 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 And the guy's coming out like, whoo, man, this is going to happen now. The atmosphere is set. So I begin to think about what song might be the theme song as this guy's walking away sad. And I was thinking about that song by Meatloaf. I would do anything for love. I would do anything for love. But I can't do that. You guys know that song, right? I imagine that's playing. I don't know why I'm thinking that. But I imagine that's playing as he's walking away. Because you know what? A lot of us are like that. We say we love God, but we want to love God on our terms. Oh, God, I love you, but, but, but I can't do that. God, I, I worship you. God, I'll, I'll come to church. I'll do all these things, you know, on Sunday. But during the week, I can't do that. But I can't do that. That's your theme song. I can't do that. I can't do that. See, the, the reality was this. It wasn't the money that was the problem. It was he had something else in front of God that happened to be money. Do you realize this morning that anything we put before God is an idol? When the Bible said don't put any other idols before God, he's not talking about the little, you know, statue and all these things. He's not talking about that. He's talking about anything else that you put before him. It could be a person. It could be a thing. It could be a relationship that you're putting before God. That becomes an idol. It could be your job. It could be your dream. Oh, this is my dream. I'm going to do my dream. I'm, I'm going to do my thing. I, I'm not going to do the will of God. I'm do, that dream is an idol because you're putting it before God. See, God says, I don't want part of it. I want all your life. See, if we're not careful, we miss some golden opportunities because, friend, you're just thinking about yourself and you're not thinking about the overall picture. I was thinking about the stories. One of the guys was telling me the story of when Apple started the computer company with uh, uh, Steve Jobs, and I forget the other guy's name. Actually, there were three guys that came together, and they formed the Apple company. And I want you to think, I want you to watch this clip of what happened to one guy that was actually part of the original owner. Most of you never heard of him. Why don't you go ahead and show that clip? Missed opportunity. Is that here? Is that corrupt Nevada? Am I here? What is corrupt? Okay, I thought corrupt. I go man, because he's near. I go, it's really getting worse now. And then it said it's right by Death Valley. I guess is what it's saying. Boy, these guys, man, it went bad. I mean, he he missed the first opportunity, but I'm thinking the second one. You had the original copy, and I read up on it. He sold it in 1993, 2000. What did he say? 11. It sold for 1.3 million. Actually, I read somewhere it sold for 1.59 million. And so I'm thinking, man, it just went from bad to worse. And, you know, there's more to the story. But really what I wanted to bring out there was a missed opportunity. And I believe this particular rich man had a great opportunity to follow Jesus. Think about this. He could have been the 13th disciple. We would not be talking about 12 apostles. We would have been talking about 13 apostles. This guy right here could have followed Jesus. He could have been known as the 13th disciple. 
Perhaps he would have been there when Jesus healed the sick. He would have been there to eyewitness. Maybe he would have wrote one of the books of the Bible. Maybe he would have been there at Jesus' resurrection to say, I seen Jesus after he resurrected. Maybe he would have been one of those key guys that would have made statements, one of those followers of Jesus. But instead, the Bible says he walked away sorrowful. He would have been listed among Peter, James, and John. But the tragedy was he missed a golden opportunity because he was holding on and he refused to let go of some things in life. See, is it possible this morning that God has a lot more for you, but you refuse to let it go? You're holding on to something that you don't want to, you don't want to let go. And now when I read the scripture, many times when you read the Bible this morning, it describes things. It doesn't necessarily prescribe it. In other words, we're reading this one interaction that describes Jesus, what he told this one person. It doesn't mean that Jesus was writing out a prescription for all of us to follow. In other words, uh, you don't need to sell all your possessions to be a follower of Christ. One is not saved by poverty. We understand that. But the prescription that Jesus was giving us today is obedience. Say obedience. Will we trust him enough to do what he asked us to do? Are we willing to give up our own whatever we hold and say, God, We'll, we'll serve you. We'll do what you call us to do. Because many times we're holding on to things. We don't want to let it go. We're saying, man, and God has so much more for you. The saddest words that, that you ever read is what, what might have been. What might have been of this young man? What might have been of his life? If we could talk to him now, he probably said, man, what might have been? I'll never know. But, but really this guy, his love was, uh, was divided. God wants undivided devotion. He doesn't want divided devotion. Amen. Here we go. Jesus makes this statement in Mark. He said, no one who sacrifices houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, father, children, land, whatever because, whatever because of me and the, and the message will lose out. No one who sacrifices for me will lose out. So God is saying, you know what? When you put him first, you'll never lose out. I was thinking about this story. I'm going to read it to you. About a five-year-old five little girl who was at a department store with her mom, and she saw some fake, cheap uh, costume jewelry pearls, and she begged her mom for the pearls. Her mom said, I don't want to waste my money on that. They're just fake. And the little girl said, please, mom, I, I, I'll, I'll buy it with my own money. And so her mom finally gave in, and the little girl reached into her, her little leather purse and pulled out every dime she had. It equaled about $2, just enough to cover the cost and the tax for the cheap fake pearls. The little girl loved those pearls. She wore them to kindergarten. She wore them out to play. She wore them in the bathtub. She wore them to bed. She never took them off. A couple days later, her daddy was tucking her into bed, as he finished, he said, sweetheart, do you love your daddy? And she said, daddy, I love you. He said, will you give me your pearls? She said, daddy, you could take the rocking horse in the corner. <laughs> the next night, he was tucking her in again. He said, sweetie, do you love your daddy? And she said, daddy, I love you. Will you give me your pearls? She said, you can take my doll over there. 
couple nights later, he tucked her in again, and he was almost out the door, leaving the bedroom. She hopped out of bed, and with her little fist that was balled up, she said, Daddy, I have something for you. And she opened up her little hand, and she said, here are my pearls. And he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out a velvet pouch and gave to her a, a string of authentic, real pearls. He had them all the time. He was just waiting for her to give up the cheap stuff so he can give her a genuine treasure. Let me just say this to you. Your heavenly father is waiting for you to let go of the cheap little value stuff that you have so he can give you eternal riches. Something that's going to last forever. See, today, when you look back at your life, what, what is your life going to say that you held on to the wrong stuff? I think this rich young ruler would tell us, man, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. I'd give it all up today. I'll do it all over again. And if I could get back to that moment and basically give up everything I have to follow Jesus. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.